This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents Politics on Fubar. Good afternoon and welcome to Politics on Fubar. I'm Asa Bennett and it is my pleasure to take you through the last week in politics. And my, what a week it has been for this election campaign in that the party leaders have all taken their chance to reveal their big plans for Britain in their party manifestos. We've had Labour, the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats releasing their projects with, I think, just the Greens and UKIP are left. Uh, But nonetheless, there's a variety of policies to wade through. But the one thing that you cannot get away from is Brexit. Yes, Britain's exit from the European Union. This is going to be the issue that hangs over our heads for the many months and indeed years to come as the British negotiators try and thrash out the perfect terms, they'd like to think, of withdrawal. And so this will be our special topic for the week in which we're going to examine in a variety of ways, uh, starting off with a general week in review with Ed Hardy, political commentator, and then we're going to have a very detailed interview uh, between my, from myself with uh, Labour MEP S. Seb Dance. He's famous for uh, sitting behind Nigel Farage and while he was talking to the European Parliament, waving a sign saying, you're lying, and many other things. Needless to say, very interesting man. And finally, we'll have a very meaty debate uh, with various illustrious guests of all the uh, party stripes, and it is going to be a fascinating debate to be had. And But first off, it is unmistakably important to, to work out how Brexit can be got right, because you know, Theresa May didn't want this to happen in the first place. She backed Remain, and now she's having to really get with the times. She's amassing a Brexiteer cabinet with Boris Johnson and Liam Fox to help her on the way. And yet, you know, despite her ambition for Britain, she missed the chance to sell it on Thursday with the ITV's televised debate, as instead it was up to the political dynamos of Tim Farron, Paul Nuttall, Leanne Wood, Nicola Sturgeon, and Caroline Lucas to debate how they, apparently, as Prime Minister, would sort out the withdrawal, even though they, come on, Let's admit it. They have no chance, really, of getting uh, over the steps of Downing Street. And so it's really a, ch- a choice of Theresa May versus Jeremy Corbyn, nonetheless. But, you know, we'll still see what these views are. They are very valuable views, after all. And as a result, first off, may I just say, we want to also want to hear your views. And so if you're listening and you really are just itching to comment on something that one of our guests says, f- please do get in touch. You can email us at uh, politics at foobarradio.com or tweet us at foobarradio. And first off, though, may I just say, then to introduce Brexit, it's first let's take a trip down memory lane and think where how do we get here and so what are the parties proposing how are they planning to get us out of the european union we've rounded up uh, the best of the quotes from the party leaders for your delectation we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of june britain is leaving the european union and there can be no turning back Only Labour has the plan to make Brexit work for ordinary people. As we leave the EU, because that is what the people have voted for, only Labour will negotiate a deal that preserves jobs, access the single market, and preserves rights and access, not plunge our country into a race to the bottom. Nobody knows what Brexit will look like. The choices Theresa May will make will affect your life and our country for decades. You should have the say over whether Theresa May's Brexit deal is right for you, right for your family, in a referendum. And if you do not like that deal, you should have the choice to remain in the European Union. The Green Party believes that you, the general public, should have the final say on that final package. Now, if you like what you see, then that's great. Go for it. But we believe that you should have the right to be able to look at the small print and decide if you don't like it, then you should have the right to be able to remain inside the EU. You know, I am passionate about 
about freedom of movement and passionate about staying as close to our European neighbours as possible. The European Union needs us far more than we need it. There's only one party which is truly committed to the Brexit that people voted for, whereby we are back in control of our own laws, of our own borders and of our own money. It is also a Brexit whereby we take back full control of our waters and sign free trade deals all over the world. What we want is to have a comprehensive free trade agreement with the European Union, uh, but you can't be a member of the single market without effectively still being a member of the European Union. And the British people have been clear, we shall leave the European Union. Football Radio presents... Joey Page. Welcome to the studio, the fabulous Picks. Have you got big plans because you're doing some headline shows? So is that different to what you've just been doing? or No, I mean, it's pretty much the same. I've got like a new drummer in my band, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Never used to have live drums. So what's your live setup like? My brother Luke plays with us on stage. He's, uh-huh. He plays guitar. Older or younger brother? Older. Older. Is he keeping you in check? Yeah, well, I don't know. I think I'm keeping him in check. Really? <laughs> I'm like an older brother to you in many ways. Well, you're just older. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Every Wednesday. Joey Page. From 2pm. FUBAR Radio. Welcome back. It is my delight and pleasure to welcome political commentator Ed Hardy to take us through the week in review. Hello. Hello. Hi. Now, sort of, um, we've got a variety of stories here I think you want to talk about. Um, what, what, what's you most excited about first? I, I think the biggest story of the week, and not necessarily on UK politics probably to start, is... The, there's more to life than Britain? What? Exactly. <laughs> oh the, my the, gosh. The crazy things that are going on in the US. Mm. Um, it all started with, uh, technically this is cheating because it started last week, when Donald Trump decided to fire James Comey. Hmm. And it seems to have gotten a little crazier since then Hmm. we now have this memo that Comey wrote which apparently says that Trump told him to end the Flynn investigation Hmm. this story will probably develop before you know we're even off the air because that's the way this seems to be going now I mean there's a danger he's going to start tweeting if he's listening to this right now saying that that's a lie I was so great Uh, you know you imagine I mean that's the dream is that he'll tweet and call me fake news really Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's led to Republicans now even suggesting that he needs to be impeached. We mm. had uh, a Republican from Michigan who said if this is this memo is true, mm. it merits impeachment. We had a Florida Republican uh, comparing it to Nixon's uh, impeachment. Mm. We've had obviously the Democrats coming out. So Al Green, who's a Democrat from Texas, stood on the House floor and called for impeachment. Although, of course, you might argue the Democrats would always call for impeachment of Trump. You know, from the well, moment he got in, I, I, they really have been. But hmm. it seems now they have a justification for it. They're claiming that this could be obstruction of justice, particularly if Flynn is found to have done something wrong, and that could quite rightly lead to the impeachment of the president Mm. that would merit impeachment proceedings in not just democrat size but republicans as well but then surely some republicans would want to have trump in place because you know they're they're hanging in there in the hope that they'll get their big tax cuts they'll get to savage medicare and medicaid and then you know they've job done in a sense well you see that with paul ryan paul ryan will not criticize trump it seems it Mm. literally doesn't matter what Trump does. He could probably insult Ryan himself. In fact, he did during the campaign. Yes. And Ryan still stands by him. Oh, uh, he just, so, you know, he's in it to win it. He, he, he's like a little lapdog. It's very charming in just, a sense. He yeah. just really wants those tax cuts. He will do anything for it, really. Well, well, well exactly. He's <laughs> the most astonishing to see. It's, it's a sort of fake bromance in a way. But, but then yeah. one per- person, if I may say, uh, in the other stories, that, who really is having to put on a smile is of Len McCluskey with Jeremy Corbyn. You know, exactly. It's peculiar. I mean, am I right in thinking that he, he's claimed that Corbyn wouldn't win? 
And then mm. clearly, like a few hours later, said, actually, I'm really optimistic. Corbyn has a chance. We definitely think we're going to win seats. Yes, this story was entirely bizarre, not just because he backtracked several hours later, hmm. but his excuse for the reason he changed his mind on how many seats Labour could win. So it was originally 200 would be successful, which implies he thinks Labour could win less than 200. Hmm. He then said that he's optimistic they can win a majority. Hmm. But his argument for that was that he, the manifesto had been launched, he'd seen it, and it was successful. The one problem with that is as we all know from the brilliant photo of him falling over coming out of the meeting, hmm. he was there when the manifesto was decided. He hmm. knew what was in it before he spoke to, I think it was Politico, where he did that interview. So there's no justification for changing his mind. Mm, exactly. I mean, he maybe it's deliberate, though, in the sense he actually was speaking what he really thought and thinking Corbyn would lose. But I mean, why, why would he want to set the bar so low? I suspect there is an element of Labour is now playing up the Tories winning a majority and Labour doing quite badly because then if they do get more than 200 seats now hmm. Len McCluskey can go Jeremy Corbyn did a good job he should stay on as leader and I think that's where Labour is now pitching themselves I think Jeremy Corbyn does want to stay on as leader hmm. uh, that has been suggested that he might try to do similar to what Kinnock did and, and stay just cling you know fingernails on the table I'm exactly. not leaving yeah I mean because I remember seeing there was a research uh, that came out a, a few days ago suggesting that if Labour well with, with inevitable Labour drubbing that actually it's the moderate the anti-Corbynites who will suffer most so exactly. maybe what he wants well also you look at people who are seen as potential uh, future leaders so Clive Lewis for example hmm. it's now been suggested by one analyst that there's a 78% chance I believe it was that he will lose his seat hmm. so people who were actually opposed to Corbyn and wanted to replace him actually might not be there in the next parliament well it could, so, it could all turn up fantastically then for it, him on June 9th well, I mean, be, sort of after, yeah. it, it could <laughs> be a little club of him Emily Thornberry he, <laughs> he could maybe bring back uh, you know his little Sounds like the makings of a sitcom. Sort it, of it Thornbury really and Corbyn are in a boat <laughs> by themselves. Now, obviously, uh, no time for joking, of course, about this party leader. Theresa May, very serious. Sort of uh, right. strong and stable. Strong and stable, That's absolutely. I mean, obviously, I'm not getting a brown envelope from the Conservative Party to say that. Don't worry. <laughs> it's. Uh, but the one thing I can't help wondering: yeah, the new story here is she the new Thatcher? Sort of. Well, she seems to be trying to split herself away from that, hmm. but in this weird trying to appeal to UKIP but trying to appeal to the left and not wanting to be seen as Thatcher but still wanting to be viewed as Thatcher. It's a mm. kind of old manifesto in a way. I mean, do you think she's successfully shaken that off in a sense? I think it'll always be difficult for her purely because second female leader, she's always going to be compared to the first female leader. Mm. So I think that's always going to be a problem for her. Yeah. But... I I, I think she's trying her best to shape her own image. I think they're calling it Mayism. Yes, and obviously the Tory, Tory MPs actually are said to absolutely adore her anyway. Just mm. the idea. I mean, uh, I know some of them who refer to her privately as Mummy, which is always very <laughs> bizarre. I mean, the, the less said Have about they the been psychology. Speaking to Mike Pence about I, I, that, I don't know. Mess. Probably. I mean, the, the conversations between Republicans and Conservatives, we will not know <laughs> yet. I have to probably ring the Kremlin to find out. Now, obviously, one person who won't be convinced very much by Theresa May's uh, plan is it seems to be Harry Styles who has said that he will vote for anyone, really, who is against Brexit. He has waded into this debate in the manner that celebrities sometimes do, hmm. but in a different way than most. He's not actually committing to any one party, uh, even though the Lib Dems did some awful pun press reliefs trying to claim him as their own. But he has waded in saying that he's against Brexit, 
uh, and he will vote for whichever party is opposed to that hmm. will it do him any good will it get young people out to vote people who support him will they turn up and go harry said this so we'll agree with it it's really difficult to tell mm. um, celebrity endorsements have always been a weird one as to whether they actually have a significant impact or if they're a bit of this odd quirk that just occurs during elections I mean because I remember during the EU referendum we had all sorts of celebrities Benedict Cumberbatch David Beckham all mm. saying vote remain and look what happened exactly <laughs> it, it, it yeah. didn't work there and Labour tends to on the whole get more celebrity endorsements mm. and they did that in 2015 and they lost there so celebrity endorsements might have zero impact but it's it's certainly an interesting one that he's felt the need to uh wade into this debate and but then why why do you think he can't say vote labor in that way he's saying it's an anti-brexit uh motive maybe he's trying not to alienate too many people he's always he's always said that he's left wing yes uh he said that back a few years ago when he did the comic relief sketch with david cameron back when David Cameron was still uh, a politician and in number 10 they did that weird uh, sketch hugging him outside of Downing Street I still don't understand that but um, he said back then he was left wing Mm. so he's made no secret of that but Mm. maybe he's not a fan of Corbyn maybe he's a secret Tim Farron fan exactly you never know I mean I think I saw an interview this morning with uh, Tim had given to Metro in which he very much has brushed off the you know one of my children actually she listens to One Direction the whole time you know (laughs) we love all the songs and I was thinking my god how you have to pander to the celebrities just to get one celebrity to endorse him but there'll be one vote and it's going to be I I don't know where where is his constituency I'm thinking you know sort of I have no idea I I believe he lives in the north somewhere okay this okay. is really so bad that I or, or it's, the, it's the, 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 the well-known marginal of Los Angeles that's <laughs> true yes, yes. He, he, he lives in America now but he oh to be fair I think mm. he has a house in North London I well, think actually, that's where I, he lives now I mean I, I'm, or maybe it might be in Cheshire sort of perhaps I, I mean exactly. you might be thinking about when he's talking about the North yeah. um, sort of it's sort of the land I seem to recall Wayne Rooney lives in Cheshire and his family too so, so you know it's you never know. the place to be really <laughs> um, but speaking of I mean, obviously I realise you know, speaking of celebrities having to pander for uh Pardon me, what, Tim Farron a celebrity? No, I, I, let, me, let me rephrase. <laughs> Speaking of Tim Farron having to pander to celebrities, obviously it's all, we you know, to try and get, uh, woo young people. And exactly. the, the, then I'm just kind of being intrigued by the piece you chose, which it's not, yeah. not very positive, though. But yeah, Ed Halker's no one cares about young people sort of peace in the guardian exactly it's always a thing when elections happen that young people seem to be the group that no one talks to yes and no one tries to appeal to now there's an obvious reason for that young people are always less likely to vote they always turn out in fewer numbers when any vote whether it's an eu referendum whether it's a general election Hmm. so by doing that and not showing up to vote, politicians realise that their vote is kind of worthless, which is not saying that when they do vote, it doesn't matter. But because they're not going to show up, why would a politician spend time trying to appeal to them Mm. when they could spend more time appealing to older generations that will turn out? Mm. But then you have to get them interested in voting, because obviously it's meant to be a lifetime habit. Well, this is the problem, and I think this is why the piece is particularly interesting, because it's this vicious circle, really. Parties don't appeal to young people, so young people don't vote for the party, so parties don't appeal to the young people, and it just keeps going round in this mm. negative circle. So I think And whenever they try, we do laugh at them. I seem to remember the Gordon true. Brown and the I occasionally listen to Arctic Monkeys in the morning. Or, or Tim Farron and One Direction. <laughs> Indeed. It's, it's, it really there is this sort of attitude that young people don't matter in politics, but I really don't think that's the case. You look at these um graphs that people have been putting out about people who didn't vote and that I think the proportion 
uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but the proportion of people who didn't vote was greater than the proportion of people who did. Hmm. Um, and if that's true, and young people have the ability to make a real difference at this election, if they all turned up and voted for Labour to scrap tuition fees, or they turned up and voted for Theresa May to secure Brexit, hmm. or Tim Farron because he really loves Harry Styles, you know, they're really... They, they I could mean, that's have a, that is a doorstep issue. You know, I, can I you name the is. One Direction songs? Can you sing them as well? You know, you have to prove your street cred. Well, <laughs> Theresa was asked about which Harry Potter character she most identified with mm. and I believe struggled to name any Harry Potter characters. Um, <laughs> so maybe we should make this a new But she's test. read all the books she claims. I mean, she said she enjoyed them all. She can't tell you anything about them. Probably <laughs> just a very strong story, yeah. stable, stable plot line, exactly. you know. I mean, I, and, I, and it reminds me that like, that, that, that carried on the other day because Michael Gove was on Sky News and uh, mm. he was asked about the Labour manifesto and he said oh, you know, I think the, um, the proposals have a sort of potency of a Harry Potter spell. And I was thinking, oh, which one? <laughs> do, do, you, do you mean Wengardi and Leviosa, all very modest, or is it Avocadavra, you know, the death spell? You know, exactly. It's not quite Just, as clever as you're thinking, Mr. Gove. <laughs> yeah, you think that they are trying to be clever by fitting these references in, and it always hmm. turns out quite disastrous and seems to mean, in the minds of everyone else, completely the opposite of what they were. Of course. I mean, but, but how do you think. I mean, obviously, the piece, uh, it touches yeah. on this you know, vicious cycle of people don't vote, people mm. don't appeal to young people, therefore they don't vote, therefore mm. they're not engaged, therefore we don't talk to them so much. I mean, how do we break the cycle, do you think? I think the first step, it, it's kind of to do with both sides, really. The first step for young people is they have to register. The mm. deadline is coming up very shortly. If you don't register to vote, you can't go and vote in this election and so young people need to register, they need to turn out and vote. Even if they don't agree with anyone, spoil your ballot. Go out and spoil your ballot because you will still be recorded as having voted. Hmm. And that will show up in the statistics and it will make politicians listen. Particularly if all young people spoil their ballots, it would show that no one appealed to them. And parties would then realise that vote exists. We can, uh, we can harness that, we can get it hmm. into our column. And they would try and appeal to them. At the same time, parties need to start doing more for young people. Labour have done an element of that. They've reached out with the abolishing tuition fees. Yes. But on the whole... The Lib Dems want to abolish cannabis. Exactly. I mean, sorry, not abolish it, <laughs> legalise cannabis. Abolish the uh, criminal penalties exactly. for cannabis. Yeah, exactly. God, that's very punitive. Abolishing <laughs> Abolishing <weed>. cannabis. <laughs> I'm not even sure how you go about doing that. Oh, no, that's a Conservative manifesto. Exactly. <laughs> sort of abolishing legal highs. You well, know, you yeah. can't even burn it because then everyone around would end up... Uh, yeah, it would be, a- accidental inhalation. Exactly. It would yeah. just be counterproductive, really. You yeah. just have Tim Farron there, you know, Sort of chillaxing. Exactly. <laughs> just eating some Doritos and playing FIFA. There's, I, I mean, I, I believe that's that. what happens. Look, look, look. <laughs> we, we all thought about 1992. Sorry to harp on about, you know, this sort of John Major. What a yeah. guy. Fine. He, he wooed voters by getting on a soapbox and, you know, engaging with the public. Yeah. In this case, Tim Frank, can you know, go up to sort of Camden Market, you know, sort of uh, hook a cafe, maybe. Well, this is one of the, the, to be fair, this is a weird thing about this election as well. No one seems to, except him. Yes. Uh, no one seems to be wanting to go out and actually see anyone yeah. in, in the public. You have Theresa doing her best to even avoid journalists. I believe there was one situation where the journalists were told to send in pre questions, pre-approved questions, questions yeah. which is a very sort of authoritarian approach to uh, press conferences. You've got Jeremy Corbyn again doing his rallies to young supporters that agree with him, but not really going to places where people don't uh, agree with him and would challenge him. Hmm. And you know, Paul Nuttall is probably 
buying a house in Boston and Skegness to claim he's always lived there. Of course, so you know they have, they have to sort of try busy. and get in with the Boston people now. You know, exactly. sort of obviously the inventor yes. of the NHS sort of, <laughs> exactly. uh, and sort of astronaut that well, he is. Exactly, he's yeah. very busy. He's currently in the space station. It's a very strenuous uh, process trying of to course. campaign while you know conducting look, experiments. Look, up the there. less said about Paul Nuttall's virtues <laughs> and accomplishments, the better. And I think that's time for me to wind up now. But sort of thank you so much for uh, spending the time, Ed. Thank you. And for uh, me. you know, obviously now, um, so obviously moving on. May, may I just let you know? Uh, dear listeners that we're going to have an in-depth interview with Labour MEP Seb Dance but first just to sort of uh, tell you all you need to know about what he thinks about Brexit uh, we've got a little package there is a kind of popular opinion that somehow this is going to be a nice you know, negotiation between two equal partners that sit down in the tab- on the, uh, you know, around the table. The UK says, well, we want X. The EU says, well, we want Y. And we come up with a nice compromise. If you leave a club and you want the benefits of that club, you have to follow the rules. And if everybody left the club, still had the benefits but didn't follow the rules, there wouldn't be a club. If we ruled in now the rights of EU residents living in the UK, sorry, EU 27 residents living in the UK, then of course we get the same guarantee back. That's been said by every single person I talk to here, every single MEP, every single commission official, every single official from member state governments, they all say the same thing. And I find it somewhat absurd that the governments say that that's what they want to do. In fact, they use the word priority. Well, I don't know what a priority is if you don't unilaterally act now, which is totally within our gift, in order to secure the rights for UK citizens as well. It seems to me to be absolutely disgraceful. We now need to make sure that what happens next delivers the exact same benefits in terms of our economy as being inside the European Union. That's the government's own words, by the way. Unfortunately, we've heard from our European partners, and it's pure logic, that you cannot have as good a relationship outside the European Union as you can within it. So we've got to fight now to make sure it's the best possible relationship. Feisty words from Seb Dance MEP, and it's my pleasure to have the man himself in the studio. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, now, obviously, uh, just to give you all a praise, he is the uh, well, Labour London MEP, and uh, famous recently for, um, while Nigel Farage was speaking, he, uh, well, you might say trolled him perhaps with a sort of sign saying he is lying to you and an arrow pointing at him while he was speaking, and thus he became an internet meme. I think he's been appearing in everything as a sort of uh, bastion of honesty behind Trump posts and all these other people, you know. So sort of, how does it feel? Uh, it, it, well, I mean, it, it feels good to have got a simple message You broke out. the internet. I, I broke the well, I'm not sure about that. I can't compete with Kim Kardashian on that one. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, it feels odd to be memed as a, as a MEP whom most people have never heard of before. Um, mm, but, mm. Uh, yes, I mean, ultimately it was a, a uh, very important message I put out there. Um, wasn't the most sophisticated way to do it, m- most definitely, but I'm glad it's it's out. Well, excellent. I mean, because I remember the the, rep- the response from UKIP, uh, they, they, they took it in good heart. <laughs> uh, yes, I, th- I think so. Um, although, of course, uh, one of the spokespeople did call it disgusting and said uh, uh, I was behaving appallingly, mm. and uh, they did uh, they did officially complain to the Parliament, as is, of course, their right. Um, but then, then what happened? You're still an MEP now? I'm still an yeah. MEP, yep. Uh, uh, they uh, took the complaint seriously, as, of course, they have to, yes. and uh, I apologise for breaking the rules but I certainly didn't apologise for the message uh, and in fact I only broke the rules to uphold the values of the parliament itself so that was uh, accepted by the president of the parliament and uh, yeah here we are here course, I, I mean you, you must have had though I, I mean I, I've watched uh, Mr Farage speaking in these debates and you know he always gets booed by Giva Hofstadt and everyone else so surely you must have people sort of privately coming up to you sort of patting on the back saying well well done mate well done <laughs> well you know. uh, I'm not sure Guy uh, has ever booed uh, Nigel Farage uh, as such but he certainly he, he is very combative with him hmm. um, but yes I've, I've had a number of people say thank you, you that needed saying um, fellow MEPs 
Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, fellow MEPs, and not from the sides you might expect either. Um, oh, so yeah. I think there's a lot of recognition that uh, the, comp- the challenges we face are incredibly complex and people's lives are full of, full of uh, uh, challenges that are growing every day and, and the simplistic answers that some say uh, are the answers to those challenges are simply not the full answer. Hmm. I mean, were you, were you watching last night's uh, ITV debate? I saw bits of it, yes. 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 Sort of, were you, um, I don't, how did you feel about seeing Farage's successor, Paul <sighs> Nuttall, taking on well, the, I mean, the audience? Where do I start? I wish I'd been there with my, my little sign. Um, hmm. So he said that there was a massive... Uh, uh, oversupply of labor uh, and he said it's as simple as that well it's not as simple as that because that's a barefaced lie there is a massive massive skill shortage in this country uh, many many reasons for that but there is also an undersupply of labor hmm. there is this kind of myth uh, that the people that are coming to live and work here are replacing a whole cohort of healthy working age people they're not they're replacing dying people people who have retired that is the basics of our demographics so we need immigration to keep our public services going to keep our economy healthy uh, and that's the the, the, the basic lie at this uh, at the core of this one in one out uh, policy that UKIP has and, and this mm. ridiculous uh, uh, target that the Tories have never met that the Prime Minister has just re-announced in her manifesto mm. and then, oh, But do you feel that argument then was put on stage by one of the four people there the other four party leaders or do you wish there was a Labour voice? I, I do wish there was a Labour voice, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's important that we, we get our message across but So Jeremy Corbyn was wrong to give it a miss? Um, well, I mean the thing here is you've got the two main people one of whom will be Prime Minister, Jeremy mm. Corbyn or Theresa May. And so I, I suppose they took the decision that, I mean, I don't speak on behalf of the leadership. Of course. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you're, uh, you're a man who knows, you know, uh, the Brexit arguments, you yeah. know, back to front. Yeah. And, yeah. and how best how they, be, they be, should best be sold, in a sense, to yeah. the British Republic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, well, well, I said to one of the things that came through in that uh, uh, debate yesterday was that it, there's this sort of attempt to put the discussion to bed now. OK, we've had that decision on June the 23rd. Therefore, there's no further discussion on what the next steps are. Well, that's not democracy. Democracy is not an event. It's a mm. process. Uh, and actually, yes, of course, we've started the process of leaving the European Union, as is the uh, wish of the majority of the electorate on June the 23rd. No one can deny that. Mm. But what you can't deny is the right of people to look at what comes next and to have a view on what comes next. That seems to me to be perfectly reasonable. And uh, that is obviously the discussion that will have to be had over the next, uh, well, just under two years. Of course. Although people listening to this, um, some of them may have voted for Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may listen to you thinking, oh, well, this is all very well, Seb. You know, but then if, if Remain had won. You know, you'd be sort of saying, Nigel, button it. Come on, stop, come, stop <laughs> agitating for another referendum. What are you doing? Well, sort of. no, I think, well, I hope uh, that we uh, uh, would have had the humility to have said, right, well, this, this issue means that we are staying in the European Union, i.e. we're not going to start the process of leaving it. But it doesn't shut down the discussion on either reform or indeed for those who want ultimately to leave the European Union. That, that would be uh, completely uh, um, you know, opposite to the values that we have in this country. We have a democracy, we have freedom of speech, and you have the right to have a view that is different uh, to the one that the majority has, absolutely. That's, that's of part of being in a democracy. So proudly you're going get against the grain in some absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Yes. But I mean, I, I always believed uh, that being in the European Union is in our country's interest. I still believe it. Okay, I lost the argument on June the 23rd. It doesn't mean I intend to stop making the argument. In fact, if anything, the events since then have, have uh, emboldened me to make the argument that mm. much stronger. I wish I'd been saying some of the things I'm saying now uh, that, uh, that we could have been saying during the referendum campaign itself. So you feel the Remain campaign was n- not strong enough?
stuff. Well, I th- no, I'm talking personally here. Oh. I think uh, there are things that I uh, wish uh, I, I had said and, and done during the referendum campaign that I think, uh, well, no, it wouldn't have made a difference me on my own, but I think it's the kind of campaign uh, that, that, that we could have had that I think would have made a, a, a resonated much better, but, uh, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Hmm. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we're not, well, people like me are certainly not going to give up the, the fight uh, cool. because it's the future of our country and, and I think lo- it's important. Looking forwards, obviously we've had the manifestos have come out mm-hmm. and the, the Brexit plans. I mean, Labour's one was interesting, may I say, because of course, then there was the forced amendment after the, I think it was Clause 5 meeting, that yeah. to free movement must end. Mm. Well, mean, it doesn't say free movement must end. It ooh. says free movement will end. Yes. Uh, and uh, people like me will always defend free movement. I think it's a great uh, uh, deal for the United Kingdom. I think it's given us the brightest and the best. It's so you're not happy with that line? Oh, I'm not happy with the idea that it will necessarily end, but I think it's a reflection of the fact that if you leave the European Union, then free movement as we know it will end. I think that's, 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 that's basically a statement of fact. Hmm. What uh, we haven't been saying, uh, and what the Labour manifesto leaves open, and, and, uh, and I would very much hope that uh, a Labour government would look at this, is that you can still have elements of free movement and control uh, on, uh, for example, people who come and live uh, and don't find work in three months. There is nothing whatsoever in European Union law that says that they are allowed to stay. In fact, there are so many provisions that other member states make use of that we've never made use of uh, that, that uh, would respect the right of free movement. What we never talk about in this country, of course, when it comes to free movement, is what it means for Brits. Hmm. So we're effectively now saying, yeah, um, it will now be the end of your right to go and live, work, travel, study, uh, fall in love with someone else from uh, another European member state. I think that's a terrible regression on the kind of freedoms that people now take for granted. But, but then can I just ask, obviously with um, Theresa May's Brexit plan, you, you probably sympathise with the line said much on the debate stage last night that it's a hard, extreme Brexit she's pursuing. Mm. Although, can I just put this to you? Mm. Surely it's a negotiation that she'll be climbing down to a more moderate Brexit because, in some ways, the UKIP position must make you smile in some ways because she's saying it's going to be a betrayal, it's going to be a a compromise. How dare she? And that's a good thing in your eyes. Um, well, is, do we need to compromise with the other 27? Absolutely, because yes. our economy depends on it. As I said, the rights that we've accrued but over many years. But you'll scale down to a moderate well, Brexit, um, Maybe, maybe. But uh, let's look at the way in which the rhetoric kind of starts off. In any negotiation, in any walk of life, you start with offering something. Hmm. That is how you get the goodwill. That is how you get uh, the other side, basically, to take you seriously. Hmm. We could and should have offered uh, unilaterally the rights of the EU 27 citizens in this country to be protected and conversely that would have protected the rights of British citizens. There are nearly one and a half million British citizens in the rest of the EU. Hmm. That would have started off goodwill. We would have had a really good progression uh, from that point And that's uh, what a Labour government would do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's in our manifesto. But the idea that, you know, threatening uh, our nearest partners on whom we rely for our our trade and industry Hmm. uh, with a trade war. I mean, I spoke to a CDU uh, MEP. He's very close to Angela Merkel and he's you know, for all intents and purposes, an Anglophile. And he hmm. said to me, if you want a beep-beep trade war, you'll get a beep-beep trade war. So, you know, this is the kind of uh, um, interpretation that they're getting from the words of our Prime Minister. This is this is a dreadful way to start a negotiation well, process. I mean, uh, you know, some might say they're leaking our dinners and, you know, sort of <laughs> be, be, you know well, well, moaning yeah, about us to the press. If they were yeah. leaking their, the, our dinners, why would they do it in German to a German newspaper? This isn't, you know, it, 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 if anything, I think there's an awful lot of complacency in maybe other member states States as to what our uh, the, our government's intentions are. Hmm. I think there was an assumption, for instance, for example, that, that we would go for a soft Brexit because it's overwhelmingly in our economic interest. And I think there's an awful lot of astonishment and disbelief that uh, the government is not intending to go that way. Well, in that case, so it's been very interesting to hear from you. Then I'm, I'm so sorry we don't have more time, but Don't obviously worry. we could. I would talk all hour practically about <laughs> Brexit at this rate. I'm sure we'd we'll love to have you back at some I'd point. Love to but be back. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Thank so you. Time,
We agree to the... Pardon me. I obviously meant to be talking more about our second Brexit package to explain how on earth we got where we are. The British people have voted to leave the European Union and their will must be respected. I was absolutely clear about my belief that Britain is stronger, safer and better off inside the European Union. The British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path and as such I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. Let June the 23rd go down in our history as our Independence Day! This does not mean that the United Kingdom will be in any way less united, nor indeed does it mean that it will be any less European. There's no hiding the fact that we wanted a different outcome. I am fully aware of how serious or even dramatic this moment is politically, and there's no way of predicting all the political consequences of this event, especially for the UK. You know, when I came here 17 years ago, and I said that I wanted to lead a campaign to get Britain to leave the Europe. European Union, you all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. I think Brexit's going to be a wonderful thing for your country. I think, and I think it'll go down, that it will end up being a fantastic thing for the United Kingdom. I think in the end, uh, it will be a tremendous asset, not a tremendous liability. So, Brexit is going to be a tremendous asset to Donald Trump thinks. Well, we have an, a fantastic panel to sort of consider whether he's right and where, how the negotiation withdrawal is going to go. Um, we'll be considering the main question. A year after Brexit, how do you think the government has handled negotiations? I am delighted to have Seb Dance back in the studio. Uh, Joseph Hackett, a research executive from Get Britain Out, is with me too. Caroline Russell, a Green London Assembly member. And Izzy Lyons, a, a freelance journalist and general broadcaster. So welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Um, so, everyone, sort of, uh, set you, have you been, if you've been hearing Seb, he's obviously not the most uh, optimistic about how Theresa May will handle things. I mean, Joseph, I imagine you must be thinking, oh, it's all, you're a foul tosh in a sense, it's all going fine, we're going to get out and it'll be wonderful. Yeah, well, I am optimistic. Um, I think that the negotiations, there have been some slightly rocky moments in the last few weeks, but I think it's very early doors. Um, I think it's ultimately in the mutual interest of both sides to come to a comprehensive free trade agreement and I think therefore we should be um, we should be looking at these negotiations with a heavy dose of optimism. Hmm. Okay, is this this shared by you Izzy then? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, It was never going to be easy. It was most certainly never going to be straightforward. But at the end of the day, I think Brexit was a fantastic thing. Um, Largest political mandate in British history. I think that's something that should be celebrated. I personally think May is doing the best job possible that she can do and I wouldn't trust it in any other politician's hands. But then, Caroline, I presume you would uh, prefer to trust it in Caroline Lucas's hands and Jonathan Bartley handling Brexit. Well, I think the people who are going to find are leaving the EU yeah. hardest are those in precarious employment, those who um, have least in our society. Mm. I'm the um, chair of the Economy Committee on the London Assembly, and over the last year we have been looking at uh, the impact of leaving the EU on different sectors of our economy. And while everyone is is accepting that the vote happened and they are making their plans going forward. But for instance, the insurance sector came in uh, a couple of weeks ago. They they write commercial insurance. They have three and five year terms for their insurance. At the moment, they don't know what regulatory framework they're going to be working on once the exit from the EU has been negotiated. So they are finding it very difficult to do their business and they need 
certainty and security on that. So they were talking about 50,000 jobs across the, the UK mm. being at risk. That's just one sector. And, um, and I think, you know, we have to get very, very realistic about what leaving the EU is going to mean in practice for these different areas of our economy. But then is this instability not a worry for you, Joseph? It's, it's all very hard, very fast. People are worried right now, aren't they? I think uh, a lot of people are worried, but I think a lot of people are also quite excited and optimistic. Um, I think that we, um, of course, as, um, as has been pointed out, it's not going to be a walk in the park. There will be certain issues like, for instance, commercial insurance, which would need to be sorted out as soon as possible. Um, mm. But I think it's in the interests of both sides to sort these things out. So, but I'm then they don't want to, because I mean, Seb was just saying earlier that uh, you know, he's being told by colleagues, if you want an effing trade war, we'll give you an effing trade war. Sort of. beeping, oh, well, well, you are allowed to swear, by the way, on the oh, station. Okay. You know, you can speak frankly. You know, sort of. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's uh, meant to be. Uh, you know, the, the red rhetoric. There's there's bad blood right now. People are cruising for a bruising, as you might say. Well, there's bad blood right now, um, but there are especially on the EU side now, they're, they're starting to be reined in. Hmm. Um, so you had Donald Tusk sort of publicly on Twitter called out uh, Jean-Claude Juncker. Um, you also had um, Michel Barnier has now come out and said this 100, so-called 100 billion euro Brexit bill was never his figure. He's uh, sort of told off all the, uh, the member states which are trying to essentially put all their liabilities onto Britain. Hmm. So you, you, the hardliners, I think, in EU circles are beginning to be sort of pushed to one side. And as uh, push comes to shove, I think ultimately they will be marginalised and the, the level heads in the EU will prevail. Do you agree, Seb? Um, well, let's look at this from a kind of basic logical point here. So hmm. is it in both sides' interest that we get a good result? Of course it is, unquestionably. Uh, and when the result was um, announced, uh, one of the first things you heard was, uh, for example, voices of German industry saying, yes, yes, we need a, a very good deal. That was all predicated, obviously, on, on an approach from the UK side that would kind of produce the circumstances for that to come about. Hmm. The EU is a club. It has certain benefits, and it's up to each member to decide whether or not the cost of being in that club outweighs the benefits. Uh, and we have taken the decision that the costs outweigh the benefits. Now, that's fine, so you leave the club, but if you want some of those benefits, you can't then expect them uh, to be there simply by virtue of you having had them as members of the club. They're up to the club members to give you the benefits on their terms and on a cost that they decide is appropriate. That's, I'm afraid, the reality of leaving a club. Hmm. And what we've seen so far is demands from the Leave side that we retain those benefits without having any of the costs associated with membership, and that if those benefits don't accrue, it's not because we've left the club, it's because the club members aren't giving to them. It's a basic fallacy of logic there. And and I'm very worried that as we go forward and some of those benefits do look as if we won't get them because they come at a cost, hmm. uh, then ultimately we'll find the EU being blamed and we'll continue this cycle of deceit. But Caroline's absolutely right when she says it's those who are in the most precarious position who stand to lose the most. Those on supply chains, those uh, in industries where goods and services cross borders many, many times. They are dependent not just on no tariffs, but actually tariff-free barriers being removed. And that's what the single market in the EU does. Hmm. I mean, Izzy, obviously listening to that, uh, were you thinking, oh, it's, you know, the EU's going to be blamed, you know, they're being honest brokers, or do you, do you think Britain's playing rough? How, how do you think this is going? 
Well, I just want to pick up on a point that both of you made, actually, about the people who are going to lose out on this the most are those in the poorest in society. And just to point out a very you know, clear thing of what came out of Brexit was it was the working class communities that voted to leave. And I think people aren't asking themselves why. And you can bang on about the poorest people suffering, but they are ultimately the ones that wanted to get out. And that's because it was not working. Mass immigration is driving down their wages. You know, their, their villages, their, the fishing villages, the but traditional... Caroline wants to come in. She's just burst, <laughs> waving her hands at me I'm furiously. Bursting to yes. come in, but <laughs> yeah, by all means. Yeah. So let's go. Go on. Look, I'm I'm standing for Parliament here in Islington North, and right. I am door knocking. Uh, every single day and the places where I'm door knocking are the estates which are the places that I focused on during the the Remain campaign and the or you would see it as the Leave campaign because that is where I was finding the most people who were tempted by all the Facebook ads to vote to leave. Now it is people on the estates who are now saying to me that they are anxious about whether they made the right decision or not and they are anxious because they are working on zero hours contracts. In the NHS they're working on zero hours contracts. They're working for companies like Deliveroo, for Uber, with where the these big corporate companies who don't pay very much tax are keeping them on poverty wages. They are suffering because there's not enough housing. There are, of course, a lot of issues which meant that working class people last summer voted for change, but they didn't necessarily vote for the reality of what is going to come out after all these exit negotiations have, 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 have gone through. Because as Seb was saying, if you are in a club, you get particular benefits and you pay for those benefits. Well, Coming out of that club, if we are not prepared to pay to be part of that club, then we won't get those benefits. I've been talking to people running small businesses, people who are dependent on imports of fruit and vegetables, of um, uh, foodstuffs from Spain and Italy, from Turkey. They are really worried about what the tariff are going to become and whether their business is going to remain viable. There are huge numbers of people who work in the NHS. They know that we are utterly dependent on immigration in order to maintain our NHS services. People depend on the NHS in the, in, in the UK. We need to make sure that any negotiation to leave the EU safeguards our NHS and means that we have enough people to actually do those jobs to keep people healthy. So what do you say to that, Izzy? I do completely agree. Of course we do. And that's what the negotiation process is part of. But I would like to point that you're knocking on doors in Islington. You know, <laughs> that's such it's a, a safe remain heartland yeah. in London. Like there are other pockets of society that aren't, you know, as well off, as comfortable, as well connected, the job opportunities. And also, Sorry, in the, there is huge, huge deprivation in I'm Islington. Sure there is. and, I'm sure um, there is. And, but and you, can't, I, you can't compare knocking can, on doors in one, you know, quite wealthy, well-established bar in it, London to it, the rest of the UK. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we need to nail on, uh, you know, on the, on its head this myth that it is a white working class vote that has risen up on mass as a single polity. It's not the case. I've spoken to uh, lots of people around the country, and they tend to be in, in cities in areas with uh, with uh, higher immigration than the rest of the country. Plenty of white working class communities where they are very, very fearful of the effects uh, that will happen if we have, for example, uh, a situation where manufacturing plants need to close down because the, the entire business models that they rely on will be upended. If you look at a city like London, 14, 1,4% of all of our exports of goods and services go to the European Union. Now, a reduction in 14%, assuming obviously we get a no deal, in which case it all falls through, and that's obviously the very worst scenario, a, a reduction of 14% for a city like London would be bad. 
bad, we'd all be worse off, it would make us poorer and a less, um, a less good place to be. Places like Sunderland are 95% reliant on that single market. Now, if London survives, great. But if Sunderland goes under, what does that do to the divide in our country? Mm. And the very real reason that you're right, people did vote to leave because they felt that this divide <coughs> was unsustainable, and it is. But what they've been sold is the complete opposite of the mm. solution to that problem. And that's the real reason why I think we need to have a, a proper analysis of what comes next. And that analysis, the government is really not providing D- the space Joseph, for. do you think this is the case where, where the Leave voters sold a pup? Well, I mean, I don't expect this uh, 14% reduction. I mean, that's 100% of all uh, London's exports to the uh, to the EU. I mean, I've heard about a Norwegian option. I've heard about a Swiss option. This seems to be a, a new one, a North Korea option. Um, you know, we, we're not going to have anything like that. Um, and I believe... Why do you, know, you say if, that? Well, I, you know... There are countries all over the world which trade with each other on WTO terms or near enough there to. Now, WTO terms is far from an ideal. Nowhere near an ideal, but at the same time, it's absurd, to, it's absurd to talk about this 100% reduction. In, I, I said that was the worst case scenario. And, and, and actually, well, if, 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 okay, 100% of 14% is not very much, what's 50% of 95% for a place like Sunderland? I mean, we're talking about communities that have suffered huge, huge problems with deindustrialization. Big companies have come in as a result of us being in the single market. They're only there because we are an attractive place as a gateway into that single market. Walking out of that single market is nonsensical for these places. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think um, you know all of these companies are reliant on our membership of the single market. That's I don't think that's here. the only thing. I don't. That's not the only thing that the British economy has to offer. Well, of I mean, that's not, but it's a big part of it. It's, it's a huge part of it. We've had, I said we'd had lots of sectors in to see us in the London Assembly. We've had the banking sector. They are desperate to retain all the EU regulations so that they are compliant, so that they can do business across the world. Because EU regulation is a sign of good quality, of trustworthiness. And businesses need to be compliant with EU regulation. If we leave the EU, these companies are going to just move the majority of their jobs onto continental Europe rather than being here in London. It's, you know, the... the Compliance with the, this big trading body is something that you know any decent business is going to want to maintain. Caroline, if I could just jump in though, I, I can't help wondering. Um, obviously, there are a lot of problems, but I feel sort of you know, Izzy seems to be sort of you know perhaps she might be listening to you in despair though at all this sort of you know. <laughs> I mean, do you think sort of you think you'd be all right uh, as a result of this? I mean, Caroline spelled out many problems. Mm-hmm. The regulation is you know sacrosanct gold standard that we have to replicate to deal with our partners. I mean, will it? Are you more, you're more optimistic, I imagine. Far more optimistic. And I think this is often the case with the Remain camp. You both pose very good arguments. I can't say I'm a pro on the whole economic side of it. I'm always open to learning new things about it. But I think a lot of the time we do get bogged down in these sort of financial specifics. And of course they are important. I'm not denying that. But at the end of the day, the people who voted to leave, the people who wanted to get out of the EU, they don't necessarily know that much about that. They don't necessarily care a lot of the time. But I think a lot what we do is we get bogged down in these specific that I think sort of prove why people are getting so perhaps tired sure, with politics. But if we get those specific, specificities, yeah. sorry, I can't say that yeah, word very easily. <laughs> we get the specifics, there we go, that's easy. Uh, if we get them wrong, then you only need to listen to the Prime Minister when she said, when she launched a manifesto, if we get this negotiation 
process wrong, then it's your prosperity, your future, your I financial... I completely understand, and that's but why it's just the scaremongering, no, the, the no, negativity, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely, completely... Actions have consequences, to, and we need to know what those do, consequences are. And we should that's always, always be holding power to account and criticising, because that is ultimately how we get the best deal. But all we are constantly hearing from Remain Camp, from the Green Party, from the Labour Party, is that this is going to be the end of the world. No, it's no, not. Sorry, no, the Labour Party poorer. and the Green Party are actually quite a long way apart on this. I mean, the Greens are saying that people, once you have a, once Theresa May or whoever is Prime Minister after this election has negotiated a deal, that people should have a say on the specifics of the deal. Because at the moment, people have voted to leave. But what leaving looks like, you know, there's been, you know, we've had the North Korea option of total no deal. Uh, We've had, you know, the Norwegian model or whatever, you know, various different options. No one knows yet exactly what leaving the EU is going to look like. And we think that people need to have a say on the specifics of it. Obviously, Caroline, Caroline, obviously, indeed, as I was pointing out, quite right. But then obviously, as Izzy would surely uh, remember, you know, the rhetoric from, you know, Sir and Caroline, obviously worrying, fretting like this, you know, it was, you have the same argument the Remain campaign put, you know, doubting the, the wisdom of Brexit, and yet the British people ignored it, in a sense. You know, they looked past it, they thought there was better opportunities. It's fine. And that's why people, you lost. People I have been speaking to have been, you know, th- who, who I've asked why they voted to hmm. leave, and uh, I don't think, it's not about saying you were wrong if you voted to leave, but there are people who voted to leave, who I've been talking to in this election campaign, who are worried that they made a bad choice, and they're worried that they made a choice based on stuff that was coming out on Facebook. People specifically told me about Facebook friends, but people who they don't know, who were saying, you well, must vote, leave. This stuff is really I'm, I'm worrying. I'm sure there'll be lots of debate I, on Facebook and many more channels for the moment, but in the meantime, just going to have a quick break, so you can sort of hear about uh, another trail for a different programme, and uh, you know, in the meantime, we'll then wrap up the debate with some you know, final thoughts. Radio is proud to be an official partner of Stand Calling 2017. This year's festival is taking place from the 27th to the 30th of July with a lineup which includes Orbital, Clean Bandit, Slaves, Akala, Nadia Rose, as well as DJ sets from Mike Skinner and Merkic, Fubar Radio will be bringing the hottest stand-up talent to the brand new comedy stage, featuring James Acaster. For more information and to buy tickets, go to www.standandcalling.com and keep listening to Fubar Radio for exclusive offers and giveaways in the lead-up to this summer's big event. Fubar Radio, an official partner of Stand and Calling. Fubar Radio presents Politics on Fubar. Hello and welcome back to the big Brexit debate on Fubar uh, Politics Show. Now, I'm Asa Bennett and I just thought, obviously thought it'd be worth after a good old rough and tumble we've had on this uh, show to kind of wrap up. Because obviously I'm sure we'll be debating this for many months to come. And so I thought someone from the Remain side, as it were, on this panel uh, can sort of give their final thoughts for a minute and then we can have a Brexiteer sort of to, to finish. So... Seb, mm. I mean, how are you thinking? What, what's the prospects? So what, what's your view of how the negotiations will go over the next two years? Well, uh, f- two years is not a very long time to mm. renegotiate the basis of your economy that you've had for 40-plus years. Um, so we are running out of time. The general election will obviously eat up a lot of time. The German election, which will be in September, means that no proper negotiation can really get going before the autumn of this year. 
Uh, and that, when you're dealing with specifics, is extremely worrying. So you look at, for example, the farming sector, what does it mean for agriculture? You look at the car industry, what does it mean for the import of products where uh, any car component uh, crosses borders on an average four times. And so what's the Brexit we're going to have at the end of the well, day? Well, the Brexit is going to be one that... Hard, uh, soft, where well, are we at? The, the way the government are going, it'll be, it'll be a hard Brexit. That's what they've signalled. Leaving the customs right. union and the single market will spell disaster for our industry and our services. And we are predominantly case, a service-orientated... Can economy. I get Izzy to finally wrap up for the Brexit side? Yeah, well, um, I... What I want to see from the, these negotiations is to completely abolish this idea of soft and hard Brexit. People voted to leave the EU, they voted to leave the single market. That is a hard Brexit. There should be no such thing as it's a soft not, Brexit. Not what was made clear. Well, then, I mean, then you're getting back onto this idea that the voters were misled and no, that they didn't I think know what they were voting for. And I think it was that is clear exactly why the Labour departure. Party yeah. is no, in but demise. Not, no, no uh, because Michael, Michael, uh, not Michael Gove, sorry, Dan Hannan said that, uh, that, that we're not threatening our membership of the single market. Uh, Owen Patton said only a, uh, an insane person would leave the single I'm, market. I'm afraid we're, we're in danger of refighting the thing <laughs> no, of the referendum <laughs> campaign. Out so what was said. But then, then with Izzy, like, at least, what, what's, your, what's your vision? How do you predict things will go then over the next two years otherwise? I don't think it will be straightforward and I think there will be a lot of bumps and it will be a bumpy ride but I think we, we need to be more um, positive it, it's, it, the, the rhetoric is so drowned in negativity and it, I appreciate that we, there's a lot we need to consider but we do. it needs to be more positive particularly from the re- Remain count Alright, well, well in that case um, I, I, I definitely, I, I'm so sorry to cut you off this, uh, but it's just only because I fear that we could sort of go back and forth in this yeah, way and yeah, I thought yeah, in this case um, you know, thank you so much for your time anyway everyone and uh, perhaps to sort of show what the, the public think you know, real voters, we were surprised of course the pollsters didn't understand what the public thought. You know, let's go straight to them ourselves. We've, we've been asking how they think the Brexit negotiations have been going. Well, in my understanding, I'll talk about um, the health and social care industry. Um, with regards to that, I don't see any progress in the sense that in the care industry, there is a huge shortage of carers and nurses. My own part is the caring part. Now, with this Brexit now, I have a lot of carers who are already thinking or are already anticipating that they would have to go back to Europe. And this is going to have a knock-on effect on the elderly. So I believe that in the health and social care industry, the government really has to do something fast. Otherwise, the whole system will crash. When I say the whole system, the health and social care system. Because at the moment, already, we don't have enough carers. The carers we have working now, they're overworked and underpaid. Now, if we now, with this Brexit now, I can see that (laughs) it's going to be serious. So the government needs to be more flexible with the immigration, especially with people from the EU, because these people, these carers who come from the EU do an exceptionally excellent job in the care industry. So there has to be flexibility, especially in the healthcare sector and especially with the care of the elderly. Uh, I feel like it's an impossible job for a government to do because it's never been done before. Um, that's not to say that they're covering themselves in glory, but I feel like they're hugely underprepared um, and struggling to the the balance between keeping the country happy and getting the best deal f- politically. Uh, to be honest, it couldn't have gone much worse. I remember waking up on the day of Brexit and just being like, didn't expect this to happen. And... Uh, I sort of thought, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to sort itself out. And here I am a year later, not really happy with uh, the way it's going or the way it looks like it's going. Um, To be honest, I haven't really been involved with it. 
Um, I'm, I know I'm directly affected because I'm, I'm a EU expat. So, um, but I prefer not to look at it and I prefer to live my life like as it never happened. And yeah, it, to be honest, it doesn't really bother me. Well, obviously, uh, th- that gentleman there was not very bothered much by Brexit. But then there's someone who we have on the line who will be very bothered by uh, Brexit and how it's going is James McGrory, co-executive director of Open Britain. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Lisa. How are you? Oh, very well, very well. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, f- a very fine afternoon in politics, but then you're probably not so pleased with how the manifestos have uh, been and what Theresa May has basically said about how she'll handle Brexit, are you? Well, I think you wouldn't have me on if I was going to be pleased. In, uh, well, you might have uh, converted. Uh, Damascene uh, conversion. Yeah. Thoughts. You know, strong and stable yeah. government. That's right for us. Yeah, unlikely to happen any any time soon, I, <laughs> I, I would suggest. I think it confirms what we've known for a little while, doesn't it? That they do want to pursue a pretty hard and destructive version of Brexit in the Conservative Party, out of the single market, out of the customs union, and perhaps more, most terrifyingly of all, prepared to walk away from the EU with no deal at all, which hmm. would just be the worst of all worlds. I thought the interesting change uh, from their tone in their manifesto was they seem to have dropped their previous pretense that they were going to be able to deliver the exact same benefits, not my words, the words of David Davis, um, outside the single market as as within it. I think it's an admittance from them that they know that decisions that they've taken will to leave the single market in particular, will leave us poorer. Hmm. And so, you may, I don't know if you were listening to the debate we were having just earlier. Um, I caught the end. Well, excellent, because then uh, sort of Seb and Caroline, they were being very sort of feisty and talking about how the, you know, the fight back continues and you know, it will still go on. And I can't help thinking of when you know, UKIP used to call themselves the People's Army, in a sense. And I think maybe that's, you know, that's open Britain these days for the Remain side. You are the sort of remaining, re- Remainer People's very, Army. Yeah, sort very of, kind of you. Well, but they, well, what are your tactics? How are you planning to fight back against Brexit in this sense? Well, look, it's clearly a difficult uh, election for pro-Europeans. I think we should just admit that up front. Uh, a lot of people won't like me saying this, but I think we're looking at a conservative majority, and we're actually talking about the size of that conservative majority. And so what you're saying, what we're saying to our supporters, half a million or so of, of them up and down the country, is get out there and campaign for candidates that we know will oppose hard, hard Brexit. Because mm. every candidate that is returned uh, to the next parliament that is a voice against hard Brexit is a potential check on the conservative parties. Yeah, exactly. And the Liberal Democrats, they're meant to be a a singular party that can take charge of the Brexit fight back. And uh, do you you think they've been uh, sort of striking a chord with the public? I think they've definitely been striking a chord with large groups of the people that we've just been discussing. The the people who voted Remain feel very, very worried about the future direction of the country and feel that not only are they not really represented hugely well in politics outside of the, of the Liberal Democrats, but I know many of them from speaking to them myself, speaking to our, our supporters, they feel bullied. They feel intimidated. They feel they're not allowed to express their opinion. They feel that their freedom of speech is being questioned, that when they might ask a question about Brexit, it or uh, question the, the decision to leave the single market. They're told this was categorically on the ballot paper in June 23rd, you're a democracy denier, you're obstructing the will of the people and you should just shut up and be positive and get behind Theresa May. Well, Although it was almost the opposite last night on ITV when it was four Remainers, like, you know, Tim Farron included, versus Paul Nuttall just berating him, saying he's Theresa May's spokesman. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought Paul Nussel did very, very, very poorly, but I'm not a big fan. But, I mean, if you can't even remember your opponent's name, I don't think you're going to come across usually well on, mm. on national TV. But fair play Calling to him, everyone Natalie. Yes. Nat- calling everyone Natalie, yeah. I mean, he didn't manage to call Tim Farron Natalie, but I think apart from that, he managed the full suite. Um, but he did actually have, he did actually turn up. Now, uh, but because Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn didn't, he was rather isolated in standing for a sort of pro-hard Brexit mm. platform. Um, but I don't think you can blame the other four candidates who had the decency to turn up, express their opinions in front of millions of voters watching on, on, on TV for being pretty hostile to Paul Nuttall because they fundamentally disagree with him on the, the biggest issue of our age. Well, he'll have loved it anyway, nonetheless. But then if I can ask a, for the final question, um, you know, as we're looking forward to you know the, the rest of the Brexit process, how are you thinking... Where are we going to be in 2019, in the way? We'll, we'll be out of the European Union, perhaps in a sort of transitional process, do you think? Or, you know, hope? I mean, what's your prediction? I very much hope uh, we will be heading towards a transitional process because I think the idea that the government still maintains, uh, I don't know how long they're going to keep up this pretense for, that we are going to be able to have a comprehensive trade deal signed and all the other issues sorted out from security to the environment to the border in Northern Ireland to a new customs system. The idea that we're going to have all that sorted out by 2019 I think is fantastical in the extreme. So what that says to me is that we will need a transitional arrangement to avoid the so-called cliff edge. Bluntly, that's going to require some compromises, some mm. trade-offs on both sides, including in, including by our own government. I'd like to see the government be a bit more upfront about what those trade-offs might be. All right. And do you think do you think in two years' time, once people might say we are you know, very much out of the European Union, will Open Britain still be continuing the fight? Well, look, ask me, ask me in a couple of years' time, but certainly, uh, certainly, we'll continue to fight against hard Brexit while, while, while there, while there is the window and opportunity to do so. Well, I look forward to speaking to you in two years' time. In that case, and thank you very much Thanks, for your James, over time, James, and uh, have a good afternoon. And so, as you may have heard there, there's a range of opinions uh, we, we have been hearing from over the last hour on Brexit. Indeed, and this, quite rightly so. It will remain a thorny issue, one that will continue to excite public debate for the months to come. So it just leaves me time to say, you know, so th- thank you very much for listening. And uh, obviously, thank you to our guests, uh, you know, James McGrory, Seb Dance, Caroline Russell, Izzy Lyons, and, well, of course, Joseph Hackett, and of the Edward Hardy, who you've been hearing from earlier. You know, it, I, I'm sure, and I hope you've been enjoying the show and had as much fun as I've had presenting it and I look forward to hearing from you and you know presenting it again very soon in the meantime you know have a good afternoon and until next week
If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.